HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is presented by Chemists in the Kitchen by LabX, a love letter to science, cooking, and individuality. Subscribe for free at youtube.com slash labxnas. This week on Meet and 3, we're turning an eye to food at its trickiest, from imitation olive oil to the pretensions of 3D printers. We were just doing like a birthday party for one of the employees and we printed a steak just for fun. You know, a grape Jolly Rancher isn't going to satisfy your craving for for grapes. So, I mean, in a sense, it kind of multiplies the, the sensory qualities that we can love in the world. So basically you culture the cell in a bioreactor, it grows, and then ultimately at the end you come out with a piece of meat. Tune in to Meat in 3, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, 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 welcome to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's Tuesday, April 20th, 2021, and I'm recording remotely. Since uh, the pandemic started last year, we've had the opportunity to talk to people in very far-flung regions, including British Columbia and Toronto, and now we'll be talking to some folks in Atlantic Canada. It's new to me. I didn't even know there was a different time zone. Apparently, we're one hour ahead, so we're in Atlantic standard time right now. Um, I've never been to that part of Canada. I've been to Montreal. So we're going to learn a lot about it, and we've got some special guests. So let's go around the room. Uh, start with Chris Reynolds. Please introduce yourself. Yeah. Hi, my name is Chris Reynolds. Um, I'm a Halifax native. Um, I run a couple of beer bars here in Halifax, Stillwell and the Stillwell Freehouse. Um, I also do a brewing project called Stillwell Brewing on the side, and uh, happy to talk to you guys today. That's great. And a long-standing writer, Mr. Craig. Yeah, it's Craig Penny here. I'm uh, connecting from Rossay, New Brunswick, but I grew up in Nova Scotia, and I've been uh, interested in beer since 1985, and I started writing about it in the 90s and made it a an actual full-time job on beer, wine, and spirits in 2000, I think it was. So I've been uh, doing it a long time. Thanks for joining us. And, and Mr. Chris. Thanks very much, Jimmy. This is Chris McDonald. I am one of the co-writers of the Atlantic Canada Beer blog. So while beer isn't my full-time job, it certainly is a passion of mine. Uh, and actually, like the, uh, the other two gentlemen, I'm also a BJCP beer judge. So we can uh, talk nerdy if you'd like. All right. So one of the benefits of... Uh, recording remotely is that I'm outdoors in Brooklyn at Pig Beach Barbecue getting ready for one of my barbecue events tomorrow, Brisket King of NYC. And you're going to hear some ambient noise of helicopters <laughs> and uh, birds. So it's a beautiful day here in New York. So you guys up there in Atlantic Canada. So I, I mentioned there's an Atlantic Standard Time. There is. We're one hour ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tell us what is different about Atlantic Canada than the rest of Canada, n not just climate and geography, but perhaps your beer and um, the beer styles and, and the evolution of craft beer. Let's start with Craig Penny, because you've been covering it for a long time. 
Uh, what's different from the rest of Canada? Um, well, in the early days, I mean, we were, we were, I, I guess, one of the, the first ones to have a, a brew pub with uh, the old uh, Ginger's Tavern, which was an ale brewery. So I guess in early days, we were really ale-centric. And uh, we generally think of in Canada as the West as being loggers in those days. And then uh, Quebec and the Atlantic were more ale drinkers, but I don't know whether that uh, lasted very long. But um, I, I think of uh, nowadays, to be honest, um, Atlantic Canada is, is just like everywhere else in the, in the uh, new world that's really into to good beer and that you can find just about everything. So it's really changed. Yeah. And then Chris McDonald, um, you, you've been covering the region for a while. Just tell us what, what you see, how long you've been doing it. Noteworthy places. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been really interested in beer since about 2007. Uh, I got a new job and actually uh, was lucky enough to go to Germany for a training course and when I was there, I quote unquote discovered uh, the great beers that are available. And so ever since then, I've really been passionate. I came back to Nova Scotia, wanted to learn all about it. I found the Brew Nosers, which is a homebrew and beer appreciation club that's been around since the 80s and really dove deep into it. And um, so, yeah, it's been very excited to uh, keep that going with the blog, which has been running since 2012, where we try to document all the new releases, uh, of which there are hundreds, thousands per year, you could imagine. And uh, the, the, the landscape has really changed for the better. Um, what used to be, yeah, just kind of, let's say, the, the standard pub fare or English styles really embracing the best of uh, the uh, the New England area, you know, the New England IPAs, but uh, the bold uh, West Coast IPAs as well. And then definitely uh, European influence, whether it's from a Berliner Weiss or uh, Lambic styles and everything in between. Great. And um, Chris Reynolds, so how important you, you're, is Bar Stillwell to the craft beer scene where you guys are? And also... Halifax jumps out. I want to give a shout out to, we're just trying to get everyone introduced and, and hear you guys' voices. But uh, Bobby O'Keefe uh, is someone that, that followed the, this show. And a few times over the years, we messaged and he did. Thank you to Bobby O'Keefe. He introduced us to all of you. Um, just tell us about Halifax and Bar Stillwell, Chris. Sure. Yeah. Shout out to Bobby also. What a great guy. Yes. Great. Great love, Bobby. <laughs> Yeah, so I mean, I think I, I like hearing Craig and Chris talk about the, their own histories and the history of uh, of Halifax. But from my perspective, as being someone who grew up here and then moved away for a long time, um, I was away for about ten years. Um, I think that the, the sort of most unique thing about Halifax and, and about Atlantic Canada is that it's a little older than the rest of Canada. You know, we, uh, it was, was sort of settled first, I guess, and. Um, the sort of pub thing and the ale thing has been a big thing here for a very long time. Um, granite brewing, um, Craig was alluding to a little bit earlier with Gin Ginger's Tavern. Granite brewing was a very key brewery that opened in 1985, um, here in Halifax. And they, um, they, they opened because it was, uh, you know, same reason any, any craft brewery has opened in the last 15 or 20 years, both in Canada and the U S um, and that there was just a dearth, you know, there was nothing to drink. Everything was just an industrial lager. And so this guy, Kevin Keefe, goes to England, uh, gets the Peter Austin system going, trains at the Ringwood Brewery, comes back to Halifax and sets up a little brew pub serving, you know, um, basically bitters um, and, and English style beers, does the cask thing. Um, it was really quite a special thing at the time. And remained special, I think, up until they they closed shop just last year. Um, but they were, you know, been doing cask ale that entire time. And there's not a lot of cities, I think, in North America that can say, you know, they've had cask ale pouring since 1985, like, mm. regularly. And I think mm. that, you know, that really affected the East Coast um, beer scene. So it's been, yeah, big, a lot of ales, a lot of, um, especially like um, 
you know, the nineties, there were a lot of brew pubs and you'd go in and you'd get a flight and it's like ale of various colors, but they all kind of taste the same, <laughs> you know, the, the whole brew, the, that was what craft beer was in the nineties, I think in a lot of ways. And that was kind of, it was still a little bit like that when Stillwell, our, our bar opened in, in, in 2013. Um, I was sort of saying before we started recording that, um, at, when we opened, there were seven breweries in Nova Scotia, and that was seven years ago. Um, and now there's, yeah, in, in, I think it, uh, Chris uh, McDonald could comment more to this. He's way more up on the scene than I am, believe it or not. And um, uh, But there's, yeah, there's 60, 70, somewhere in that region for, uh, for a province that's under a million people. Exactly, yeah. So we have the highest number of breweries per capita in the country. Um, well, and we fight about that, though, right? <laughs> Do we? It does oh, go back know. and forth. That's true. right, right. It's pretty uh, close. New Brunswick claims it too, of course, but you know we we love each other, though. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, and so, yeah, it's been uh, it's been an incredible revolution the last uh, few years. But also, yeah, we, we've been doing um, flavorful, um, you know, simple. I guess you could say craft beer for an awful long time here. So, if I'm traveling. You know, what are some places, what what would be my guide to Atlantic Canada? Like top three places of each of you where I should visit and have a beer. Bar Stillwell. <laughs> Tell us your three, you're on, but you just you guys you guys take over. It's your show. So Well, yeah, I mean I guess I could start um uh yeah, my own bar stillwell. You gotta go there for sure. Um <laughs> in New Brunswick. Where am I going for beer in New Brunswick these days? Uh, I'm probably going to a brewery, um, and I'm probably going to Grimross, actually, in Fredericton. Grimross is a brewery that uh, does a lot of great beers, um, and they really kill it in the traditional lager department, which uh, I'm obsessed with personally. Um, PEI, Bar None is a great brewery. Copper mm-hmm. Bottom is a great brewery. Yeah. I'd probably go visit uh, Spencer over at Lone Oak. They just put out a uh, West Coast-style IPA that is um, bright, um, and bitter, which is really neat to see in 2021. Here, here. <laughs> well, Chris, you're redeeming the, the, the beer bar owner because I, you know, the, the trend at least in New York, the last seven years has been that people are, are looking to breweries and tap rooms for their beer. But I, I'm still a fan of the, the good beer bars that have a careful selection and, and really know, uh, their, their region. Um, I noticed I was looking at the bar Stillwell Instagram, and there are a couple of things you had. You were pouring Two Crows Brewing. What what is that brewery? Uh, they're great. Yeah, they're just up the hill from us. Um, they're maybe a twenty barrel brewery ish. Um, they do an awful lot of beers per year. A lot of barrel aged stuff. A lot of experimental things. Mixed fermented beers. Um, always made really well. Um, the crew is super fun. They're really like uh, out in the scene, like offering help and, you know, just very open armed people. Yeah, really great brewery. And they're, they're pretty new. They're only maybe three years old or something. Yeah. Uh, who wants, what is the, like the distribution culture or laws in your area? Is it different by province? It is. This is Craig Penny here. It is, it is different. Um, although, we can sell to each other's provinces, of course, in, including draft, although we rarely see anything from Newfoundland uh, over here in New Brunswick. I don't know about in Nova Scotia, but we each have uh, liquor boards, so government monopolies that have a, a big effect on the way beer is distributed. But they're all slightly different from each other. Like I think uh, Nova Scotia breweries might say that in New Brunswick, the relationship the small breweries have with the liquor board is is uh maybe a little better and the and the i don't know if markups are better but there's maybe some of the rules are are more favorable like we're more open to allow each tap room can sell beers from the other breweries there's a lot of cross selling including wineries distilleries cideries so there's a lot of that kind of stuff so yeah there can be a real difference but um you know, there's also some private stores in Nova Scotia, which we don't have in the other provinces, and that makes a difference. Since you've been writing about beer, and I know you also write about other other beverages, um, 
have there been changes in those laws or distribution? You know, have things become more open, more favorable to to craft beer, for example? Oh, absolutely. And actually, it's it's funny. Um, I'm, I don't know if Chris, both Chris's know this, but my wife actually recently, about a year ago, took over as executive director of the all of the alcohol producers in New Brunswick. So it's one association. So she kind of works on that uh, from a, I don't want, I don't want to say a lobbying standpoint, but she works on behalf of them. And so, and she used to work for Moosehead in the early days, which is how I ended up back here from Ontario after leaving school in Nova Scotia, thankfully got to come back East. And so she's seen it from the side of, you know, the big mega brewery, Moosehead, and then now uh, helping out the small breweries. But yeah, the the relationship is drastically different now. I mean, when the first, if you talk to somebody like Sean Dunbar from Picaroons, which was one of the, the first uh, Atlantic breweries in Fredericton, and asked him what the relationship was like back in the in the <laughs> 90s, you might not want to, you'd have to mute the microphone. Let's put it that way. But, and he would still, you'd still have to mute the microphone now because he's still fighting. He's still fighting for, to make it even better. I mean, he's, he's done uh, so much for the New Brunswick scene and probably spills over to the other provinces too. But yeah, the, the, it, now at least people at the, we, it's the uh, ANBL, we call it, a New Brunswick Liquor Alcool New, New Brunswick, because we're we're uh, bilingual here. And uh, they have, you know, a person who's dedicated to the to the small brewers. So big changes over the years. Wow. And what, what about for imports? So if I'm making a beer in New York State, how does it get to, uh, let's say, how does it get to Halifax? That's a good one for Chris, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, Chris Reynolds here. We, we, we do import a fair bit of beer from, from, from the U.S., um, and it's difficult and expensive, and so almost no one does it. Um, yeah, uh, it, it's, it's tough. It is tough. No one to, does it here. Import beer. Yeah. And what, what about from other provinces? Like what about – is it hard to get British Columbia beer? It's not, it's not hard necessarily. Um, a lot of the B.C. brewers are best at fresh beer, we find. Yeah. And so, and so moving that beer across the country doesn't necessarily make sense. Um, we'll do kind of like a couple of events per year where we'll do like a mixed palette from some of our favorite breweries in BC and just bring them over here and just pour them for people on the East Coast for fun. Um, we do, we, you know, we'll do that stuff once in a while um, just because we also want to drink those beers, I guess. But it's not like a, <laughs> it's not like a commercial thing that, that exists all that much. I don't, you know, I don't think you could find... I mean, if you go to any liquor store in Atlantic Canada, you cannot. Uh, actually, New Brunswick, the ANBL, there's probably lots of BC beers. We have had in the past, but you know what? That has largely gone the way of the dodo because now that the, there's so many breweries, as you know, local breweries, yeah, and there's so much pressure on the liquor board to support local because consumers really want it. Mm-hmm. Um, that we don't get hardly anything anymore. And like we used to get a bunch of of European imports too, but now we get a little bit around Christmas maybe, but almost nothing. And uh, like we're even seeing disappearing, uh, something like Creamore seems to be disappearing from Ontario, even though it's owned by Molson. I don't understand that, but very few American beers, just Sam Adams really in terms of beers with flavor. It's mm-hmm. uh, really changed. Wow. Oh, and looks like we're going to get Jeremy from Big Spruce joining soon, too, which is oh. fun. So, Chris, since I have Chris McDonald on, Chris, you, you yes. had a que- question for Craig Penny. Would, remember that? You want to ask the yes. question for Craig? Sure, yeah. Thanks, Jimmy. Yeah. Uh, so, Craig, I know that in addition to beer, which probably takes up a lot of your time and effort, I know it does for me, you also write about uh, wine and spirits. And I'm wondering how do you – choose a uh you know something that you want to uh you know focus on talk about and so on because there's so many options out there whether it's local or from away right well with with beer it's it has changed a lot for me uh, like i pretty much only drink local and i pretty much only write about local beer now unless i'm asked specifically to to write about something else. I mean, sometimes I'll do a tasting because I do have a lot of events and I'll, I'll uh, put up our beers against similar beers from around the world. What Mm. few I can get my hands on these days. (laughs) So that's about the only time I drink, uh, 
uh, beer from other other places. Uh, wine's very different because we have very few wineries in New Brunswick. Some are doing some exciting new things, like Magnetic Hill, for example, is right now doing some very exciting things. So you're, you're going to hear about them. Uh, we'd get almost no Nova Scotia wine. Uh, if I was drinking Canadian, I would uh, I would love I would love to drink more Canadian, but we get very little, uh, which is a whole other a show's worth of uh, <laughs> of talking as to why that is the case. So sure. I'm always looking for whatever's new. I want to taste something new. So we have a wine a program in New Brunswick. They call it Experience, where they bring in a bunch of new wines that have never been listed before. Okay. And that's where I look for wines for my own enjoyment and largely for my writing. Great. Thanks. Wow. Well, we just had another guest join us. I think uh, Jeremy from Big Spruce Brewing. Are you on now? I certainly am. I'm so- sorry I'm uh, a little late to the table. No, we're, we're very happy to have you. So, again, going back, we gave a shout-out to Bobby O'Keefe uh, from Halifax who introduced the bunch of you, and I'm so happy to have you together. Um, Jeremy, just give us a quick backstory on Big Spruce Brewing because you, you were called out as a very important bre- a brewery in your part of Canada. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the time. We uh, we started eight years ago as a small seven barrel on farm facility. Uh, we were the first on Cape Breton Island, one of the uh, early early uh, comers to <laughs> the the wave of craft beer here in Nova Scotia. Kind of kind of focused on a couple of brands and some uh, specialty one offs in small batches, mostly serving beer at our front door in growlers and doing a little bit of uh, keg account beer down to Halifax and around Nova Scotia. Uh, and, and things have really grown for us from there. We've now got an adjacent big 40 barrel facility uh, to our original building, still completely on farm, hundred percent certified organic, everything we do. Um, and uh, still making it all about Nova Scotia. We're, uh, only only involved in the Nova Scotian market, maybe maybe less than a half percent of our, our stuff goes out on special order to a few neighboring provinces, really nothing else. Um, and and trying to trying to stay all about quality, all about beer, uh, all about uh, difference making authentic authentic experience here at our brewery. So just since you're joining us now, so just tell me, other than Bar Stillwell, tell me an account that you sell to where I could go and try your beer. Yeah, sure. Um, we, we do have some pretty big accounts that run a couple of our, our quote-unquote brands that we've, we've been known for since the very beginning. So we do a, a kind of a, a aggressively bittered uh, pale ale called Kitchen Party. It's, it's probably mid-Atlantic in style, uh, halfway to to British pale ale, halfway to, um, to, to American, especially with the, the hop profile. But, um, it's, it's, it's someplace you can get at some big accounts around Nova Scotia, most notably here on the Island. Our biggest account is, uh, governor's pub and eatery. They've been our number one, number one account since the very beginning in terms of, in terms of total sales across the year. But we've really, really transitioned to be a, a brewery that's, it's about flexing the might of our little seven barrel original facility, which has become the pilot brewery for, for everything we do. And um, that, that stuff around Halifax can be, can be consumed at some of the other uh, rotational uh, craft beer bars like Battery, Battery Park Beer Bar. Uh, also, um, uh, Hop Yard is another great place to get us on pretty, pretty frequently. Um, but we love love going back to uh, the original uh, place that uh, hosted our our first tap takeover and kind of introduced the the masses to the value of craft beer and the value of difference making authentic stuff at uh, at Bar Stillwell. That's great. So right now I'm googling Cape Breton and Halifax, <laughs> New Brunswick, and I, I'm going to leave it to our listeners. I'm sure you can all look up the geography because. It, it's it's not that complicated, but it's not. But we're we're kind of kind of <laughs> isolated. The the I think the population of Nyanza, Cape Breton, where we're at, is was thirty four at last count. <laughs> I'm gonna give you two, two Boston stories about where you guys are. One uh, in seventeen seventy six, around then, when uh, the loyalists from Boston fled the American Revolution, many of them went to Halifax. 
Does anyone know anything about that? <laughs> a lot of them went. To, a lot of them went to St. John, actually, where where I live. That's where Benedict Arnold uh, came to live. Is here in St. John, and actually, the beer I'm drinking right now is Benedict Arnold ESB from the local Big Tud Brew Pub. So we're called the Loyalist City. Actually, that's the the brand of St. John, which a lot of people don't really like nowadays because, yeah, Loyalists had did some bad things too. You know. A few, a few more, a few more. Actually, <laughs> went to uh, Fortress Lewisburg here on yeah, Cape yeah. Breton Island, True. and uh, in fact, kind of, kind of ruled the roost there for a while around that time. So, um, and and I believe brewed some beer in the fortress while they were there. So, lots of lots of cool stuff from that time in history. And then there was a fishing retreat. There was a great baseball player named Ted Williams, also from Boston, where I'm from, and he he had a fishing retreat somewhere in the Maritimes. I don't know if, if any of you know anything about that. Probably probably near Jeremy, yeah. On the Miramichi River, maybe. I, I'm wondering when this conversation's going to move to the real baseball team in the American League East, the Toronto Blue Jays. I, I yeah, exactly. Talking exactly. the Red Sox. Well, yeah. we, we can talk about that too. Um, yeah, baby. How important is baseball to the business of beer in Canada? Mm. Not very Somewhat. <laughs> For the big breweries. I think we stutter on that question because none of us did not. So all of us, it's not very important. <laughs> to, Labatt, to Labatt, it's probably very important, right? Yeah, I was Labatt. about to say, Labatt's probably got the cornerstone. Is it Labatt uh, or Molson Labatt. right now? I don't I don't know. In the Sky Dome? They were putting uh, left field. <laughs> I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what I know. A few years ago, we did, we did a, a show about, in, in New York, the two teams had, the Yankees and the Mets each had a new stadium. The Yankees were sticking with the big brands, the AB brands, but the Mets were actually trying to get in some local brands on tap. And um, so, you know, there, there is the reason I asked that question is that big stadiums can influence, you know, the, the, the craft beer, you know, market. And um, we have pushed for that in the past, but we're not going to go there with the Toronto Blue Jays. But generally, people <laughs> say if 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 you've got craft beer on tap, you're probably not a winning team. I don't know why. <laughs> but oh, interesting. We're going way down the rabbit hole. But. That sucks. <laughs> Blue Jays. I, when I lived in Ontario in the '90s, the, I, I would go to Blue Jays games once in a while, and uh, I remember they did have a, a microbrew little stand. And like I remember drinking um, Upper Canada, which was one of the first lager brew, one of the first microbreweries in Canada. But the price, like the beer price, was astronomical for the crappy beer. So can imagine the price for, for Upper Canada lager would break you, you know, to have that in a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess the I guess the, the theory is that if you're not a winning team, you have to innovate with your food and beverage and experience to get Maybe. people in. But um, uh, okay. Yeah. Who knows? But let's go back. I want to go back with, with, to a little bit of history of, of your area in terms of beer. So we know that like in England and, and even in America before the prohibition, there were tied houses or bars that were tied to breweries. Is, was there any any older traditions like that in your region or perhaps odd hours of, of bar closing and maybe maybe some weird rules about how you could stand at a bar or what time you could drink or anything any anecdotes like that, that that you'd like to share? Because I think that's a good – for me, it's like the history of, of drinking and bars uh, in a region says a lot about it. We'll start with – who wants to start with that? Is that a Craig one? I have a couple of ideas that are kind of different. This is Craig Penny here. They, um, I know that there's been um, rules, whether, uh, whether they're actual laws or – handshake agreements between the breweries that go back quite a, a long while before all this uh, microbrew revolution where the there you weren't allowed to have a bar if you were a brewery but of course nowadays with tap rooms and everything it's all really changing so that's one kind of interesting thing about you know there's still that thing and what if Molson decided to open a bar in every town in uh, or a Molson or Labatt or Moosehead, what would happen? Do you think the price the price of a pint would go down or up? <laughs> well, I think that a, I think that a lot of small breweries would not be very happy. Let's put it that way. No. And 
<laughs> is that not kind of what's happening with a lot of uh, bars already that, you know, Molson or these big breweries will go in and say, hi, we'll give you 20 grand to upgrade your draft system and we'll give you this and we'll give you that, yada, yada. What's the difference between a Tide House and this sort of inducement culture that exists, yeah. you know? It's a fine line. Yeah. Right. Well, I think we're hitting on the the, the biggest uh, obstacle confronting uh, breweries trying to focus on beer. And when I say that, I broadly mean breweries trying to focus on quality, on differentiation, on authenticity, on very varying styles of beer, on really pushing the limits of, of what uh, those of us uh, really close and, and, and near and dear to the craft world believe craft beer to be about. Um, you know, we, we are more than ever perhaps um, augmented by this, this pandemic and what it's, what it's caused hospitality to have to go through. Really, you know, for the first time, confronting um, a, a problem with the inducement strategies from bigger breweries. And, and, and really, l- lamentably, that's, that's not just two big breweries anymore or three no. big breweries anymore. That's, that's now the biggest of the craft breweries as well, too. You know, we, we all confront this on a daily basis. I confronted it today from a surprising place. It's like a brand new little brasserie tap that's, that's you know, asking me what I'm going to do about deferring their costs of an eight-tap kegerator. It, it's just, it's, it's every single day of my life. It's the race to the bottom. Um, it's something that needs to be bucked and completely eradicated from the life of beer. But I, I, I have not yet found anything except a focus on quality and a focus on authenticity to really get, get, get any leg up against this. And I think since the, uh, since the onset of the pandemic, it's become even harder for those of us to, to really, really focus on and, and make, make inroads into Wow. Well, that, that's a great start to the show. And that's Jeremy from Big Spruce Brewing, who just joined us. We're going to take a short break. We'll be back in a minute on Beer Sessions Radio. All right. This episode is presented by Chemists in the Kitchen by Lab X, a new video series spotlighting the power of chemistry and how science and food can bring people together. It's a love letter to science, cooking, and individuality. In the first episode, three chemists swap cookie recipes, and once they finish baking, they ship them back to the recipe's owner. Along the way, they share insightful information on how chemistry can help you become a better baker. Watch the first episode and subscribe to the series for free at youtube.com slash labxnas. Hey, 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 welcome back to Beer Sessions Radio on Heritage Radio Network. It's that time of year. Support us and become a member at heritageradionetwork.org. So we're talking about Atlantic Standard Time, the Atlantic Canada region, uh, which I'm dying to go through. It seems that Halifax is the big city. And going back to a number of last few years that Bar Stillwell is the place to go. So... Uh, who wants to tell us, other than Chris Reynolds, about Bar Stillwell and how important it is to the craft beer scene? And are there other uh, beer bars like Bar Stillwell? Um, how about Jeremy? Because you're 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 out there all the time. Listen, um, I, I I love talking about Bar Stillwell. Do it as much as I can. And one of the stories I love to tell is actually kind of related to what I was just talking about with with inducements and how it just leads to a race to the bottom. I remember, I think it was actually Chris uh, who um, talked about early on the number of times, especially when they're in the midst of their, their startup um, being warned against this area on Barrington street, where so many places had opened and tried to make a go as a bar in Halifax and just couldn't, couldn't make that stretch on Barrington work. Um, And I think, I think, the problem there was exactly what they wanted to get away from and be different about. It was a number of places offering the same $5.99 cheeseburger and a pint to try and induce people to come in for something they weren't actually making any money on in the hopes that they'd buy more. And that really, 
really wasn't a model that was going to work and had already proven itself to be a failure. And Bar Stillwell bucked that trend, opened with rotating taps featuring everything anybody raging about craft wanted to wanted to see in a space that was full of ambiance and full of difference-making staff that really made your, your time there about beer and about food and about everything that, that, that our industry stands for. And I, I tell that story all the time to all sorts of places uh, when they're considering what they want to be as a, as a bar or restaurant because it is so pertinent to, to how they started, how they remain at the top, and, and truly how you know, we need more places to be, not just in Nova Scotia, but all over the Northeast here. Craig, anything on that? Well, I, of course, I would love to have a bar still well uh, down the street from me, particularly <laughs> the particularly the the, the free house, because with the uh, the really really sad demise of uh, of uh, the Granite Brewery and their the Cascales that they were at the the Henry House, which is probably the most beautiful pub in uh, in uh, maybe even Canada. So uh, nice. Although now that it we don't have the Cascales there, I don't go as much. I know they've got some other breweries on cask but uh kevin keefe's was the guy who knew how to do it the best but the steelwall freehouse has i don't know how many they have all the time but they have six or six or so i think on cask so when i'm in halifax although during the pandemic that hasn't been frequent uh that's the first place i go to get cask beer so they're they're starting a new trying to get uh the new young uh the new wave of beer nerds into cask ale because it, that it really was uh not trendy, I'll have to say. Um, my favorite type of beer in the world is English cask conditioned ale. There's, I still haven't had anything better than that, and I think Stillwell Craig, is what, probably what the best. is it about the cask ale? Because you mentioned it before, and in your notes you said you kind of disparage IPA and Hayes Bros. But, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but no, uh, no, New England IPA, not not IPA in general. But when we did a, a recent Toronto show, also we actually had uh, Mary. Beth from Granite on, and we did talk oh. a little bit about Cascale. What is it about Cascale for you? How are you well, going to convince someone? You're doing a tasting. Why would you put the Cascale in front of someone? And what, how would you convince me that I should be drinking that? Well, the only way to, to be honest to convince you is to, is to take you to England and go to the historic pubs and drink the best versions of it but if you can't do that then going to a good place that knows how to handle the beer like like the freehouse or at the granite in toronto because we still got got the the same beers uh, that they were kevin was brewing or being brewed by his, his brother's team in toronto but uh, just sit down and drink that pint but it, for me what the appeal of a good cascale is the is the texture of the beer and it it's it doesn't work, in my opinion, at all with really bitter beers. So there's that misconception when, like, an English bitter is not bitter, as you probably know. It's actually fairly mild, especially compared to the American pale ales and IPAs, etc. But I just don't find that the super, super bitter, or even the really, really fruity, like New England style, I don't find that they benefit from cast conditioning very much. But a basic English style ale, or even a, a lower alcohol American pale ale when it's cast condition the textural improvement uh is is everything and is 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 the way it's poured matter i think it matters very very much i mean both chris's could confirm that i know chris mcdonald what do you think about are you a cask freak I I sure know it's hard. yeah absolutely yeah i just love you uh beers coming through the the hand pump maybe through a sparkler if it's appropriate for the style to really get that the, the lower carbonation, but to uh, to kind of uh, shine through, um, very soft mouthfeel. And so, as Craig said, um, having the uh, the more delicate beers um, on there, it really does help them to shine and you do get a deeper appreciation for them. I think the, 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 the subtlety of texture that Craig mentions there and the, the lower carbonation is, is correct that Chris mentions, but it's also a different carbonation. And that's where the texture really comes into play. It's, it's, it's like 
um, what uh, putting a, a stout on nitro does to a stout. It's like a smaller bubbled diffused carbonation that's really, really special and, and really unique on the palate that, that gets me. And we, we don't do enough of it. We, we'd love to do more of it because honestly, it's, it's, uh, I, I hold a lot of respect for Craig and his regard for this style because it is uh, something I've, I've grown more and more to love and, and want to do more of. And need, we need to see more taps that'll do it because it's, uh, it's something that is unique to beer and really, really unique to craft brewery, craft brewed beer. And there's some doing it in Halifax. I think Chris Reynolds put, has, he could say all the breweries that are giving him casts. And I'd be curious to know. That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, we, we, uh, so when we opened Stillwell, uh, uh, seven years ago, we do have a few hand pumps down there and we, yeah. we just had to buy our own fleet of, uh, of, of pins and firkins. And we just hand them out to breweries and say, Google it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> figure it out. And you know, it works, it works sometimes it doesn't work other times, you know, some folks know the appropriate time to pull the beer off to allow it to finish in the cask. And that's when you get, you know, the, the, the most proper version thereof. Um, other folks just force, uh, not force car, but, um, like prime and sort of like a bottle condition situation in the cask, but uh, people are willing to try it. I mean, breweries from all over are willing to try it um, for us. Um, but yeah, we, we opened the free house last year um, and you walk in and there's six hand pumps right in front of you. And even me, you know, I'm the co-owner of this place. Even myself, I was like, is this nuts? I don't know. Um, our uh, co-owner at Stillwell is a guy called Andy Connell, who's from the UK and it was very important for him to try to see if we couldn't make it more of a thing, you know, uh, encourage more, more places to get, to get into it because it is a very beautiful thing. Well, I'm going to, let me just jump in for a second. Um, one thing I'm getting from COVID is I'm calling it can palate fatigue where I feel like everyone rushed to put their beers in cans and, there's I'm missing that mix, that different mouthfeel, whether it's cask versus nitro versus a draft versus a, a check side pour. Um, does anyone want to talk about that? Because I, it's one thing that makes me want to go back to a pub is just the, the variety of how, you know, beers can be presented as well as food and everything. Who's who's missing the pub experience? Yeah, everyone. <laughs> yeah. We're lucky in Atlanta, Canada that, uh, you know, uh, our shutdowns have been a little shorter uh, than most places. We still have lots of rules in the various restaurants and pubs about distancing and there's a, the lowered capacities and all of that. Um, but people are able to go out um, and, and do that. And and as a as a publican for many years who's getting more and more into brewing and I'm putting my beers into cans, I'm like, is the consumer putting this in a glass? And can I force them to put this in a glass? <laughs> you know, because it's like... Yeah, I mean, exactly as you say, just cracking a can and drinking it is never going to be the same thing as like a properly poured, you know, kind of expressed beer, right? Yeah, but it's it's not just the expression, you know. I, I when I when I think about the Freehouse and all the great pubs I've been for 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 cast conditioned ale, it's also about the ambiance. It's about being in the location. It's about talking to that familiar bartender it's about it's about more than just the liquid in the glass it's it's truly an all-encompassing thing that just gets lost completely when you try to pour it from a can mm -hmm. well that that experience is also I, I feel like that's the only way that small breweries craft breweries can thrive because you know if you're just buying from cans and you're buying from I don't know, in my case a supermarket it's pretty easy to get uh more standard brands or standard flavored brands in. Um, I also, I also feel like that when you're just getting something out of a can, you're not really getting the subtleties. For sure. One of the, uh, this is Chris McDonald here. One of the great things that a lot of the breweries uh, across the region were able to pivot to was doing home delivery. So that was something that was allowed eventually by all four Atlantic provinces. And so uh, because we don't have, at least uh, outside of New Brunswick, not able to buy beer in the uh, in the grocery stores, uh, the, bringing the kind of uh, the bar or the tap room experience to home was something that a lot of the breweries tried to do early on, and many of them have maintained it. Whether it's 
daily or weekly deliveries. Those in the Annapolis Valley, for instance, which is a region just about out, an hour outside of Halifax, are doing uh, run weekly runs into into HRM into the Halifax regional municipality. So able to bring a little bit of the experience to people at home because certainly a lot of people, uh, you know, are more comfortable these days, you know, drinking at home. So still trying to um, appease that thirst for the whole experience um, Mm -hmm. when that's not, you know, ideal maybe at this time. We've been very lucky in Atlantic Canada, haven't we, with still being able to go to the pub at least I mean, That's right. the, the closest tap room to me is uh, Foghorn, which luckily for me is a brewery that actually makes English style beer, although they do other stuff too, like sours and uh, nipas and everything. But their best beers, I think, are their English style. And I can walk there. And you know what? They have not closed a single day during the entire wow. pandemic. Uh, Sometimes, I mean, you couldn't always go in and sit down and drink a pint or at their patio, but you could always go and get a growler or cans of beer. They're open, you know, seven days a week since the pandemic started, which is, we've been very fortunate. I know a lot of North America, it sucks, you know, in Ontario, they've had times where, you know, and there aren't they in one now where you can't go to the pub. So it's, it's hard. It's, I can't imagine not being able to go to the pub. Shout out Foghorn, Andrew Estabrook's fantastic beers. Yeah, yeah, they're. Yeah, I'm so lucky they. I'm so lucky they opened 25 minute walk from here, just enough to get your exercise to earn your pint or two, right? I think that's the. <laughs> I think that's the last pint you and I shared together. Craig was there. Yeah, probably. Yeah, Craig, how did you get into writing about beer and becoming a sommelier? All right, I'll do a, the quick version. Is <laughs> no, this the long version. Why? No, why and how? Why and how? Well, I got into beer from the the granite brewery we were talking about because uh, I went to Tons for engineering, Technical University of Nova Scotia, also a great band, Tons, look them up. <laughs> uh, and uh, in 1985, when the brewery opened uh, in the Gingers, which is a dive tavern where old guys went to fight, uh, Gingers <laughs> and also had good live blues music and stuff. And it was one of the few bars in Halifax where uh, blacks and whites actually went to the same bar and drank together. And back in those times, big racism problem in Halifax, which you may not be aware of. But um, so I got into be- uh, cask beer there because a friend of mine had lived in England and knew what it was. And he was so excited when he heard they were doing this. And he drags me in there. And it, from the first pint, you know, this Keith's drinker was changed. Uh, then when I went to you, uh, I graduated with my engineering degree, went to Ontario. And there they were ahead of us. There was a lot of microbreweries. I got into home brewing, beer judging, got really serious about it, got into wine. Big wine industry was booming there in, in the early 90s. And on, in Ontario has amazing wines, which you probably wouldn't be aware of in New York, but we make better wine than California, in my opinion. Uh, the um, Got really into it. And then I didn't really like engineering. I wanted to work in the booze business. And by complete luck, my wife, Christine Camo, who was a marketing person got um, was was ended up into a at a winery and distillery she went to a golf uh, tournament at Nova Scotia liquor annual golf tournament and happened to be in a foursome uh, golfing with the president of Moosehead Brewery and then within a very short time we were in back down east in New Brunswick because we we're both from Nova Scotia and uh, my home brewing turned into beer writing and then I took the sommelier program because I knew if I wanted to write about wine I needed some you know some sort of uh, piece of paper I had to give up home brewing but because I was drinking so much other stuff (laughs) and then I just grew the business and now I you know do consulting and writing and judging and whatever doesn't pay a lot but the perks are sweet and the people are if if I were paying you and we we were going to do a companion tasting to the show yeah. Can you just throw out a, a few pairings? Would you do a pairing of food and beer, or would you do something like Atlantic Canada beers versus other beers? Well, I, I, that, something like that would be fun. But, you know, one of my favorite things to do is to introduce wine lovers to beer and beer lovers to wine. So I've done quite a few events where we I pair uh, a wine and beer, then we do them in flights and um 
try to get people to see the similarities and why if you like that, you should also like this. And I think every time I do one of those, I convert a few people. But other times, the women drink all the wine and the men drink all the beer. So but it's a, I think that was a book that was a book by Sam Calagione <laughs> she said wine he said beer that's okay I'm gonna go to Chris Rounds now Chris we're gonna go a little deeper into Catskill one issue that I've I've seen in the last 15 years like in New York City cask in pubs has come and gone but it's never really stuck around how do you keep it going what regimen do you stick to you know just tell us in your in your words, how do you make mm. a good, consistent cask ale program? Yeah, I mean, I think the first and for mo- those of us that keep screwing it up, <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I think first and foremost, um, when I'm traveling in another city uh, or in your great country, uh, I notice a lot of beer bars. Uh, we'll put the cask off to the side and at the bottom of the menu, and it's like a little thing there for a nerd who happens to notice it. But the issue with cask beer is that it's only good for a few days, right? Um, when, once you pierce a cask, a little oxygen gets involved, and you know it's not going to last as long as a force carbonated keg or, a, well, any kind of keg. Um, and so I think putting it on the menu sort of featured alongside the draft as like this is a perfectly acceptable um, drink for you to drink beer drinker, um, you know, get it. Um, just being, I guess, being confident about your casks, um, and knowing how they're tasting, checking in on them all the time. Um, certainly the sellermanship aspect is very key. Um, knowing when to, you know, just talking to your brewers, talking to your suppliers, um, knowing when the beers are ready to be moved into a fridge, for example, and then knowing when they're ready to be racked and then knowing when they're ready to be tapped. And, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a labor of love for sure, but I mean, beer is all we do. So it's, you know, we might as well do it really well, I guess. Um, so when you tap a cask, what, what's the goal? How, how many hours or days will you keep it? It's always a tasting situation uh, because certain beers will accept oxygen and, and become better a little bit over time. Uh, and some, and some will not. So, you know, if I'm tapping, say I get, say I got like a, a, a cask from granite a year ago when they were still open, I would know that I could just put it in the fridge right away because they always condition it perfectly at the brewery. Um, and then we'll rack it usually for maybe overnight kind of thing, at least. Um, I also know that granite uses finings in their cask, so that's going to f- drop out nicely and quickly. Um, yeah, um, so yeah, usually a day or so on the uh, on the stillage, which is what we use now at the, at the freehouse, and then um, and then it's just yeah, it's all about sampling and tasting. So you're tapping the cask, you draw off a little sample, you check for clarity. If it's hazy as hell, you might get, you know give it another day, or you may have a text conversation with the brewer or, you know, however that may go. Um, um, but you know, I, I was really, I'm a big into lager and Saison as a brewer and we will make like a Keller beer, um, cask. Um, and that will, that will last only basically a day. So I want that, I want that gone in a day, a lager, you know, it's not oxidizing very well, but if we have a cask on, that's like a, a bitter or like a bigger ale, that oxygen can be really nice like four days in sometimes, and we'll allow that to happen. Um, yeah. Just just about tasting it. No, that's great. I'm going to go to Jeremy. Jeremy, uh, I think when we were booking the show a few months back, um, someone mentioned that you were doing a collaboration with Harpoon. Is that worth talking about, or is anything like new or – it's it's all gone, Jimmy. <laughs> we, uh, we did do that. It was called uh, From Nova Scotia with Love. Had a bit of a story there because uh, a full year before uh, we did the beer, we went down uh, and kind of selected Harpoon as someone we wanted to talk to about about doing something. Because um, as Bostonians are probably well aware and, and maybe hopefully a little more well aware this year after after doing what we did. Uh, Nova Scotia sends a Christmas tree down there. The, the tree to Boston we send every year is about commemorating the Halifax explosion and the uh, incredible help that Boston kind of, as soon as they heard it on the wire, uh, sent us in the way of healthcare professionals and uh, supplies uh, sort of overnight in a, in a train. 
uh, to to deal with. You know, one of the one of the largest man made explosions in the history of the Earth uh, occurred here, and and you, what, what year was that? Do you mind if I ask? Was that nineteen sixteen? I haven't got my notes in 17. front of me because, of course, you're asking right. something I wasn't pre- prepared to talk about. But it's, I think it was nineteen. <laughs> So this um, is a, over a hundred years ago. Very over a hundred years ago, yeah. and um, w- w- the highest quantity of, 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 of people made blind in a single event. Because of course, these two burning ships, uh, one of which was full of munitions that had collided in the harbor, became a bit of a spectacle for everybody to watch uh, as they as they caught fire and burned. And then, if, and then when the explosion occurred, uh, many people were were caught, you know, watching it, and. Um, it was the city of Boston that responded in the time of need. Uh, the province of Nova Scotia uh, decided uh, some years ago to make an annual tradition of sending a Christmas tree from a different different acreage somewhere in Nova Scotia down to Boston every year. Uh, we put on a, a, a lighting ceremony in, in which the two cities collaborate on uh, a, a bit of a cultural event for the night down in down in Boston, and we went. Um, I think mainly to uh, attend, but also to explore the concept of of doing something in collaboration in beer. Um, and we we struck a chord with the folks at Harpoon. Uh, they were really interested in doing it, and we sent thirty uh, Nova Scotian, actually Cape Breton. Uh, single malt whiskey barrels from the only uh, single malt distillery in Canada uh, up here on Cape Breton Island down to Boston. So used barrels uh, recently dumped to um, house uh, a a beer we collaborated on that we were initially going to go down there to brew with them, but because of COVID uh, did so virtually. Um, It was an Abbey style ale that went into um, uh, um, cans on their side of the border. We did the same beer here ourselves and put it in 650 ml bottle bomber bottles. Um, also aged in uh, Glenora single malt whiskey barrels, and uh, both breweries sold it out uh, right around Christmas there this year and and into the new year. Um, a great great winter style beer, and it was uh, a lot of fun to do. We've got a few in the cellar here, but other than that, completely sold out. Real. Real success, and I think uh, talking to Al and and Charles down there about uh, looking forward on this. I think we're going to keep doing it on on an annual basis because it was a lot of fun despite the inability to be down there doing it with them. Oh, that's great! I feel like we're just getting touching the surface here. Uh, again, a, a region, Atlantic Canada, that I've never been to. There's a lot of mystique about it. We've we've talked about that a little bit. Um, let's put it on the table. What did we not talk about? Newfoundland. I think Chris McDonald needs to give you an update on the other <laughs> the other Atlantic province that we rarely get to go to. And the last time I was there, they only had like two breweries. So there's tons of stuff happening there. I think it's the, be- the oh, best sh- province. <laughs> Jeez, it's it's one of my favorite to visit. Yeah, uh, I am, as I mentioned before, I'm fortunate enough to travel for work. Uh, even during the pandemic, it's something that because of the the work that I do in uh, hospital and other types of labs, I am able to travel. And um, yeah, Newfoundland has just celebrated the opening of their 19th brewery, which uh, oh. doesn't sound like a lot, but uh, it has been very slow going for a while there. They only had uh, a, a couple, um, but now uh, just like the the wave that we were mentioning earlier of the, uh, the, the 20 teens, um, they have... Uh, exploded really and so the one of the latest to open is bannerman brewing right in downtown st john's uh excellent beer the the brewer uh is from labrador so from the province but he uh was brewing out west for several years in uh, in vancouver and it's just a another kind of demonstration of just the the strength of the of craft brewing of just excellent period brewing uh, that has really taken hold across uh, the region. We're really thirsty for more. Beer, uh, some great beer bars open and opening there. Excited to check out Bar Brewdock, which will be opening uh, on Thursday, actually. I won't be mm-hmm. there, unfortunately, but yeah. 
It's also in a different time zone, Jimmy. It's even, yeah, Jimmy, if the Atlantic (laughs) Standard Time blew your mind, guess what? They're a half hour, 30 minutes ahead of us. I was going to say, it's it's not even a full time zone. It's half a time zone. It's great. Yep. What's that one called? Newfoundland Standard Time. (laughs) You know, we can talk about this. uh, Go for the joke and I'm going to get serious. And I will, my Newfoundland friends will chide and then understand we we joked that they're a half hour ahead but 50 years behind um <laughs> but anyway yeah i love you <laughs> I, I will say one thing i learned from this show is i remember at the tragic time of 9-11 many airline flights were had to land in your part of canada and i just learned tonight that it was in newfoundland that's right. In, in Gander, yeah, one of they, they, Gander has a long history of being a very large uh, airport. It has a very long runway, so it was a very frequent stop, even for uh, tri- for many transatlantic flight flights. And there is a major uh, Air Force base there as well. And so uh, it, on nine eleven, and then the the days after, there was a lot of space. Uh, you know, sometimes. Uh, this was the only uh, runway that could handle the larger, you know, the jumbo jets and so on. And so there's a great uh, musical that was on Broadway for a long time. I may or may not still be there called Come From Away. And um, it's excellent. But it's celebrated. There, there was a lot of hospitality extended by the people exactly. of that region. Yeah. And um, we're going to give a cheers to that. But you guys are great, man. Again, this all goes back to Bobby O'Keefe and, Bar Stillwell, and there's so many. I want to be thankful we're doing remote shows right now because I've, this is the third show we've done. We did a British Columbia show, a Toronto show, and now we're doing Atlantic Canada. Um, Craig, I want you to get the last question in. What's a question that you want to ask um, of Chris Reynolds? I think you you had one earlier. Yeah, I was I was wondering about you know, knowing his beers. I know he makes some lagers, but I'm really interested in his in some of the Belgian style creations and where they, how they were influenced by visiting uh, Belgian, actual Belgian breweries and learning that craft. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You know, funny enough, I, 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 there was a period of time there where I was getting to Belgium once or twice a year uh, for several years. Um, But uh, funny enough, I haven't actually hung out at a lot of Saison breweries um, I have, I have been lucky enough to get the ear of Yvonne debates a number of times at De La Seine. And he certainly has a lot to say about, um, Saison brewing and the history of Saison brewing famously. Um, and he's very, he's a very, gen- he's a very generous, um, man, you know, he'll, he'll have a conversation with you and, and give you lots of Intel. Um, whereas the, the Belgian brewer, I think archetypically is known to be a little cagier on details. Mm-hmm. Um, I did also manage to do a brew day at Cantillon um, a year and wow. a, or two years ago. Um, it was um, uh, Jean Van Wine and um, his family had uh, an assistant from Paris um, brewing with him uh, f- uh, over a period of months. And I just showed up one day and I was like, hey, Jean, remember you said I should come brew with you? He was like, <laughs> no. He was like, no, I don't. I was like, okay, well, can I brew with you? And he was like, yeah, absolutely. Go join this guy. And we had a, we had a great day. Um, I got interviewed by Belgian TV because I happened to be shooting in the in the brewery that day. So there's some clips of me uh, talking about Cantillon on Belgian TV. But uh, in terms of the actual nuts and bolts of it, you know, not not a not a not a ton. It's more about, I guess, maybe the ethos of saison brewing, um, and about like you know, flavors and, and, and where you're trying to go with it, what the purpose of these beers is. Um, a lot of Saison and a lot of Belgian brewing seems to be about experimentation, I think, especially in North America. Um, whereas in Belgium, the, the focus is still and always on drinkability. Um, you know, the Saison can be a roll of a dice, I think, if you're at a bottle shop or you're, or you're at a, at a bar. And, and so for me, I really wanted to make Saison that I found to be very drinkable all the time even if it's on the bitter side of things, like a bitter hoppy side of things, or on like a tart, more um, mixed firm kind of sour zone. Um, yeah, so I think I think that's what I learned from them, drinkability. Wow. Well, that, this has been a great show. I remember even going back eight or nine years ago, a number of the new New York City breweries were opening 
proclaimed they were going to be Saison breweries and you only know them now is for their IPAs. So good luck. Um, <laughs> please keep spreading the, the gospel of flavor. And uh, I love that you mentioned Yvonne. It seems like all the great beer bars uh, n- know the, the right brewers in, in Belgium. Um, thanks so much, forever. guys, for, for joining me. And Jeremy at Big Spruce um, and Chris McDonald and Craig Pinhay and Chris Reynolds at Bar Stillwell. You guys have been really great. This is my first show. Uh, in Atlantic Canada on Atlantic Standard Time, which is very cool. <laughs> and it, it, it's a little thrill for me, you know, being stuck down here in the New York and Boston area. So thank you so much. Thanks to our crew, uh, engineer Armin Spingen and producing intern Caroline Fox. Thanks for joining me here on Heritage Radio Network. We'll catch you next time. Beer Sessions Radio. All right, guys. Woo. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank, thank you, Jimmy. Cheers. Thank you. All right. Thanks. Cheers, everyone. Beer Sessions Radio is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritageradionetwork. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like. Tell your friends and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.